Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Rebel Guru Radio, Episode 5. This is Rebel Guru Radio with best-selling spiritual author Eric Pepkin. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash higher balance. Designed by the Rebel Guru himself, Eric Pepin, Magnetic Pill was made to enhance results with all higher balance training. Accelerate sensory development, achieve deeper meditations, better overall focus, and so much more. Go to magneticpill.com forward slash rebel for $10 off every month or get a three-month supply with our buy two, get one free special. In this episode, we talk to Jared, who is brand new to meditation, and share some key insights on how to activate the sixth sense and have real, profound experiences. We had to record this interview on an iPhone, so the sound quality may not be the best. In either case, we did what we could to clean it up. The content in this episode is nothing short of amazing. Enjoy. So my first question is pretty broad, um, but I think it's important to start this out. Uh, I know when people think the word meditation, they kind of have these connotations of, you know, sitting cross-legged, just doing nothing. Mm -hmm. They don't really understand the purpose behind it. What would you say is the main purpose for meditation? The main purpose for meditation is to attain enlightenment. Everything else is a byproduct of that process. So most people, Westerners, um, when they meditate, they're really looking for relaxation, in my opinion, the majority. Um, Other people are looking for mental clarity. Other people are looking for the ability to retain information better. Um, uh, But largely for relaxation. And um, enlightenment uh, is also taken on a lot of different interpretations. And I like to leave enlightenment at the level of your consciousness is expanded in such a way that you have an understanding of things that you would not have understood at some point, or at least now you find all of a sudden it's like things are logically moving together in understanding very rapidly. And it's a, a movement that continues in that way. So in order to get there, as I said before, the byproduct is you have to quiet your mind. You're going to relax your consciousness. So if people just get to that point and that's all they ever do their whole life, they never really realize it can push for something further. So it's like having a giant castle and only exploring the first floor. And there's like four stories, basement and everything else. That's kind of how I look at it. So it will do all of those things as a byproduct, but that's the weakest level of entering meditation. So speaking of quieting the mind, um, I think especially in our culture today, the mind is continuously racing all the time, thinking about problems, the future, planning, whatever, you know, 
I personally tend to have the most racing thoughts at night when I'm trying to sleep. Uh, it's like my man, my mind is doing it on purpose almost to keep me from sleeping. What do you do? You think there's a like a correlation between your mind racing and uh, like you trying to keep it from racing? Do you think it? The more you try to prevent your mind from racing, the more that it does that. Well, yes, yes and no. You know, I always say that you have to look at biology, chemistry, you know, human nature, evolution, and most of the things that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis, of course, are a little bit on steroids in certain areas because we've evolved into a, a kind of culture technologically. Um, we deal with a variety of stresses that we normally would not have to uh, deal with. And so I always say go back in time and go to a primitive time and there was less action, but when there was action, it was like warring tribes or you were being hunted by an animal or those things. And, or you experience something like lightning hitting a tree. If you really go back in time, this is a very traumatic thing. You don't really understand it. There's fire, you know, you don't have fire yet. You're just traumatized. So what happens is that the human brain, when you go to sleep, has a dreaming process. And we usually see things that are frightening. And what happens is you end up having reoccurring dreams. And I call this the therapist mind. By exposing yourself something over and over again, it's like the mind finds a way to cope with that newness, that, that new thing, and deals with the problem. So if anything that your mind is uh, consciously, or your brain, whatever you want to call it, is is kind of engulfed into where you're focusing on it. It now is a triggering effect for it to want to start sorting it, reviewing it, uh, dealing with usually with the stresses of it because that's survival if you think about it. It's it, it doesn't define what the threat is. It could be a book flying at your head, okay? It it defines it as as a sense of of, of stress. And so the stress wants to to review all these possibilities of this book being thrown at you or whatever it is, people, whatever. So I think it is partially a natural process. I think it's also a habitual process, meaning it's a habit that you developed without realizing it. So at some point, if you're a college student, you probably had to cram for testing or something, and you were up late and you started doing this repetitively. And then all of a sudden you change your, your lifestyle, maybe because your work changes or your school schedule changes or whatever, but it's still running its system. And one of the things that's, that's really amazing about it is that we are, are more or less self-aware. I think, therefore, I am. And the idea is to take meditation and to be aware of those thoughts and find techniques to slow them down, quiet them, if at all, try to remove them as much as possible. So your brain, in my opinion, is doing what it's supposed to do. So I wouldn't look at it necessarily as a bad thing. I would look at it as it's doing its normal process. And the approach you take to that is going to define whether you're successful slowing that down and clearing your mind. It, for instance, you know, one of the most powerful things to say to somebody when they're meditating is they get a, a babbler mind, we call it, or a monkey mind, where it's just, you know, oh, I gotta do laundry, and you're like, shh, I'm trying to be quiet. If you say, you know, you don't wanna think about gorillas, you'll find that you're having visions of gorillas. Right. So one of the things is, is when you understand kind of how the mind is working, you say to yourself, well, then think of nothing. Most people think it abstractly. Well, no, I, I try to think about nothing all the time, and that's not what I'm trying to say. This is also a misunderstanding universally, like many other terms in, from spiritual teachings. Huge misunderstandings is why nobody gets any distance with it. 
when I say think of nothing, what does nothing mean? If you had to give it an image, a structure, a, a texture, anything, what would you say? Nothing. Exactly. So you could say it becomes like a fog or just a gray image of nothing being in it. You could argue, well, the gray is something. It doesn't matter. Have a representation, the most simple, cleanest, you know, anything. And if you say to yourself, I'm going to think of nothing, and you think of nothing like you would say a gorilla, gorilla has fur, a snout, whatever, okay, has certain features. Nothing to you would be fog, empty fog. You can't see the ground, you can't see the sky, you can't see anything in it. There's a sense of depth, but that's it. It's as close to nothing as you're going to get within reason of different options. When you do that, then that's what you get. So there's nothing to really fixate the image on or get your mind babbling about as much. And it's a very fast way to have stretches of non-thought or non-monkey brain. So you could also do the same thing about, well, I'm, I'm not going to talk. What is not talking? You have to have a representation of that. So you would then say to yourself, no, no, no. I want to talk, but I'm, I'm waiting for the non-talk to non-talk. It, it, it's, it's, you've got to change the wiring of your concepts in your head, and this is what I call hijacking the brain. Or it's a, a backdoor, is old school way we would say, but it's it's basically you know um, uh, a way to hijack your thinking process by introducing new ways of thinking that you normally haven't created a pattern with. And when it's new and it's it's a, it's like what the hell is it's like kind of like a deer in lights. It's like what 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 does that mean? It has a profound effect on your consciousness. So. Your brain is going to babble at night because you've trained it to babble at night. You've picked up bad habits per se. And the idea is sit down even for 10 minutes, focus on your breathing, and focus on the two things that I mentioned. In 10 minutes, you'll be able to quiet your mind. And if you're in bed and you're just going away, then you, I would say there's also chakra points. There's different things we can do. But the most simplest is to just focus on breath, going in and out of your nose slowly. And breath has a very commanding uh, uh, control over thought. It's they're both directly connected. Too much information, or <laughs> no? That was good. Right. Uh, I think there's a lot more simplicity to life than we than we put to it. Mm -hmm. um, we try to force things a lot, and I think going along with that, uh, the more we try to force something, the less it's going to come to reality. So if we try to go to sleep, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say when they try to stay up in bed, that's when they fall asleep the fastest. Mm -hmm. um, Again, well, there goes with that reverse approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting. Like Once you let go and understand that life is easy and just kind of go with it, mm -hmm. then you kind of get to that point where... Right, right. Yeah. So I kind of want to talk about uh, creativity. Um, I do a lot of things with, with creativity. I write music and mm -hmm. do other writings and draw and stuff like that. Um, and so when my mind is, you know, racing, babbling, whatever, mm -hmm. I obviously get a lot of creative ideas in there, mm -hmm. but also when I meditate and I quiet my mind mm -hmm. and I'm just there, mm -hmm. things kind of bubble up to the surface and, mm -hmm. and they're some of the most profound creative things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what do you think is like, how do you get creativity? Like wh mm -hmm. what's the, what's the source of that and how do you, how do you kind of access it? Well, I think there's there's it's a it's a multiple choice and multiple answer thing. Um, I would dissect also in the brain audible answers in your mind versus visual answers versus empathetic answers, and sometimes you get all of them packaged into one, making it a fourth answer. So 
understanding that when you have something you're working on and you're trying to develop that, you're, you're now entering the same thing where your mind was keeping you up at night from the first question or second question. You're, you're revolving. So a lot of times, I mean, I, I think it uh, was, uh, well, there's a lot of famous people who've had their epiphany in their dream and it worked. That's because their mind was sucked into what they were working on consistently. And when they went to sleep, the subconscious mind, in my opinion, had less distractions. And it was probably able to very rapidly do testing scenarios like we think of computers doing, testing for weather patterns, what's going to happen, and do changes slightly. And it's going through all those processes, just like you would do when you're conscious and you're staying awake. But it can do it faster. And it doesn't have emotions clopping up the system per se. So the idea is then to wake up and to pull that information. But if you're meditating, the idea is to understand that um, instead of thinking about something, instead of saying, I want to, to come up with a great piece of music, it's to want for nothing. And when I say that, it doesn't mean you don't want for something, because you do. It's to say that if you use words in your head, they're, they're very limiting. As a, as a thought process. You already know what everything is without touching it. So your awareness has an intent. That intent is you have an inner desire to, to have some, some great piece of music come from you, from somewhere that's, that's like genius in you. And with that intent, you accept not to put a parameter of expectation. The second you think about wanting something, you have expectation. And your brain can only think on a conscious level to be so creative, it's limiting. But when you remove that, with just having an open attempt, no, no demands, when it's ready to come, it'll, it'll perk itself and boom, there, there it'll be, that's how you have to approach it. But this is, this is you know, correct thinking to be able to do two things at one time, you know, so, okay. So, people want to use their brain or they want to reach out and touch something, smell something, see something, look at it, hear it, focus your attention, your ear on something. So in our mind, we tend to do the same thing. And in there, you have to remember there, there is no physical substance for you to use your five senses per se for. And so this is where people go all wrong in their consciousness. They need to find a sixth sense. And that sixth sense is a, a tool that can move in a non-organic way or material way, and that's to go through mind, through ethereal consciousness, through time, space, dimension. And you've got to learn how to baby walk that. You've got to learn how to get the, the, the motion gears down and how to control that. So without rambling on too much more, okay, to find the answers that you're looking for, they're there. You are blocking them, in my opinion, because you have a certain way of thinking and you're thinking externally and, and applying it internally. And this is why people can't get this kind of knowledge out of themselves. This is a part of the enlightenment cycle. When you get more and more, it's because you've learned to more or less hold your breath and dive instead of saying, I've got to breathe in the water. If you are in water, you know better. It's the same thing. When you dive into your mind, you have to approach it in a way that's designed for that environment. And you go deeper and you're able to, to eventually get to the bottom to bring the pearls up or to bring that knowledge up. You allow it to come up for a second you have a thought, a verbalization, uh, an emotion that's biochemically induced in the brain, it's almost like it knocks it right out like an air hockey, you know? So it's, it's a very delicate process. Once you have it down, you can move through it a lot better. I'm a psychology major and uh, there's a term in sports psychology called flow. Yeah. Have you heard of that? Very familiar with it. Sounds 
very similar it's to very, that kind of very, thing. Very, very true. They're and, detaching. Yeah, and, and I've definitely felt yeah. that. Yeah. I've been in that flow state where a big thing of that is you, you don't limit yourself and you don't allow others to limit you. you. Correct. You don't. I think a lot of creativity comes from letting go of thinking about what somebody will judge yep. your creative process. Absolutely. You know? So I think, yeah, that's definitely... Well, with, with flow, there's detachment, and the idea is to detach from, if they're running, of course, the pain of your body, whatever, right. and eventually it, they can separate from It's them. almost detaching from the physical plane and, yes. and solely going into that ethereal... Correct. Yeah. And so this is what you would, um, uh, you know, the Buddhists would, would, or various monks would be able to endure great levels of cold doing the same thing. They're just sitting so you don't think about it where we've adapted over to running or physical movement which can be demanding in a whole different level but if you think about Africa and you have certain tribes that would run great distances, they would attain that state also mm -hmm. physically moving. So it's something that's inducive in the brain and again I think in, in primitive times we probably went into that state when we had to, to flee or go great distances and it's likely there to endure great suffering, lack of water, lack of food, all these things to detach so we didn't beat ourselves down. But it, it's absolutely true that in our consciousness, especially in culture as it keeps moving forward, we have so much peer pressure, criticism, um, differences of ideas that are strongly enforced, religious views that are strongly enforced, and you're going to go to hell or you're going to be punished or you're not going to this and that, that there is a relay in our psyche that has almost a persona, a, a, a designed mind that is like the, the uh, what I call from South Park jokingly, the authority. And so as soon as you, you feel like you may be doing something or working towards something, there's this, this authority, this judgment uh, that's made of, of a personality from all of these naysayers that start shouting or, or raising what I would say these, these self-doubts. And this is what I call uh, sociological control. Um, it's, it's a way to make you fit into society and to, to communicate on a level and act in a level that's appropriate and approachable for the, for everyone else. And so this is why many spiritual people really exile themselves from society or withdraw from it so they can kind of have a, a an expanse on, on their mind because what we relate to psychologically is very much alive in the mind once it's in there. Um, hence the reason for, you know, I don't want to keep going back to meditation, but if you talk about the flow or detachment, detachment, flow, same identical thing. It's just terminology. And it's about learning to, to recognize that part of your mind and let go of it so you can allow, if you will, the flow or to detach so that whatever's there can surface uh, with intent. Yeah. And I think flow is a lot easier for people to get into. I think most people have gotten into that state yeah. because it's fun. Yep. You're doing something that you would want to do anyway, yep. and you get in that zone, and you're, you're just, you know, it kind of comes naturally. Yep. But it's harder to do that with meditation because I think it's, you know, you're trying to get into that. You're trying I, I to. I don't like, think it's harder with meditation. I think it's. Well, it's like for people who are yeah. just starting out. I mean, well, like, I, I, I think it's terminology, and I don't want to sound arrogant, but I'll, I'll probably be called arrogant. I just think it's the wrong teacher. I think that anything. Very advanced, very sophisticated, should be, be able to explain and be taught very simply and be applicable. And uh, I think if people have an understanding when, it, when an idea is communicated to them or a process or a technique, that they consistently have an aha, like that makes sense. And if you have those, there's no reason why you can't have amazing results in a, in a very short period of time. Yeah, I think simplicity is the only way to get those aha moments. Yeah. So with meditation, there's this term present, you know, to be present in the moment. Mm -hmm. 
um, as we know, like the moment is very elusive and the present just went away right now. You know, like we're in the present now, but now we're not in the present because, right. you know, so how would you describe the present and how would you describe like getting in the present, like being in the present? What does that mean to you? Well, first of all, I, I think that when we hear these terms, we think of them as a singular place that we have to maintain. And the truth is I don't see them as singular at all. I think it's a communication breakdown of ancient teachings made into modern time by people who, who don't really understand it. Being in the now is like first gear of a car, basically second gear or third gear. we got to imagine we have many gears if we're going to use this terminology. And when you move into, we'll say second gear, first gear is everyday life. We call it the dough. In, in, in how I teach. It's kind of like you're going to work. You don't even remember driving to work. You're just in your head and you're just like, oh, I'm here. This is just functioning. We have motor gears like karate. We repetize our movements and we don't realize it, but life becomes repetized. The things in our life become repetized. The socialness of our life becomes repetized. And so therefore, we're, we're really not in the now. We're kind of just like machines. And that's how I see it. So to move out of that phase, you have to have self-awareness. And that is to say, I decide to reflect on myself. I have hands and you rotate your hands, you look at the palms, you look at your arms outstretched coming in, you look at your legs, your feet. So the more body awareness you have, you start to turn your mind inward because you're reflecting at your body. And then it starts saying, well, where am I inside of this body by default? And what happens then is you start to become in the now. It's a very quick way to get in the moment. As soon as you reflect on the body and you're expanding hands or your hands reaching out, and you think about where your consciousness is up inside of the skull and there's actually two little light bulbs. It's like this little alien and they're running this, this machine with arms and tentacles and everything you think about it. And so um, just by thinking like that, you realize you're, you're moving into the now, into the moment. Your awareness sharpens. There's a little level of clarity all of a sudden. Um, there's different functioning. And this is the second level to move towards the third. The third level now will go from being in the now or in the moment, being aware of what's going on around you because it has that effect without you realizing it, to then decide whether you want to start moving into a third. The third is I call it an altered state of awareness or a sharpened state of awareness, which starts moving into what I would technically call a psychic state. It's when your senses start to become keener than, than what they are. Your sense of smell starts to get a little sharper. Your sense of hearing gets a little sharper. The sense of air moving on your skin becomes more aware to you because you're in the now. So this is a, a level of how much awareness you're going to, to have. So there's different levels to being in the, the now. And it can move to a point where it starts to transition over to the next color, like a spectrum slowly turning as green moves into maybe blue or something. And these are different states of consciousness. When I started meditating, I just did like YouTube videos or whatever. I had no idea sure. what I was doing. Sure. And it took me a long time to realize some of the most basic mm -hmm. uh, ideas of meditation. One of those being that I am not my thoughts. Mm -hmm. I can detach from my thoughts. Right. My thoughts are not me. That was right. a huge revelation. But just for the record, that is very confusing to someone who would be hearing that right now, that yes. that's not where you're at. Because to, yeah. to me, that's like, well, what the hell does that mean? Your, your, your thoughts aren't you. Exactly. Of course they're you. No, they're not, but this is where you have to have a level of psychological logic. So you go, oh, wait a minute, I totally get it now. Yeah, and, and being a psych major, I kind of had that um, understanding, you know, like your thoughts are just a stream of neurons. Mm -hmm. 
and that's in your brain. Mm -hmm. And I think we all know that there's something in us that goes beyond that. There's right. uh, what, whatever you want to call it, the spirit, the soul. Right. right. Um, and, and it seems to connect us all together too right. and to connect us to that higher. Well, I just want to say that I completely agree with you except for one point. I don't think everybody feels that way. And I don't think everybody has that sensation or even bothers to reflect on it. I think that is a certain amount of the population. And you clearly are one of those people, people who would be listening to this most, most likely are because they're seeking it out. Other people have no interest, no connection, no, no way, shape or form interest of self-reflecting or will, will even consider it. And there's a reason for that. But you think if they had a change of heart somehow, any person would be able to access that. Yes, I believe that you can convert yourself if you want to, you can shift your mind, but it's exposure and it comes down to data. Data is the single defining element while we're in an organic body per se. So data is the music you hear, the people you're around, the social effect, the politics of your life, the religious aspects of your life, who introduced what kind of information in what way. And that becomes self-reflective based upon your consciousness, the biochemicals in your body. Are you, you know, a little bit angry? Are you a little bit happy? Are you, are you an optimist? But this is all decided by chemicals also. So it contributes to this perfect design of how you see yourself. But the data can move you in one direction or another, and that's a, a conversion point. So your consciousness, if something is moving you towards a way of self-reflection, okay, there is data being built from that perspective, that view. You've climbed a different hill than other people, so your view is different. So your emotionalness is going to be affected by what you see, and that's going to shape and mold your consciousness. So um, I would say absolutely it's possible, but it doesn't happen as much as we would like to. I think that's the passionate, loving side of us that wants to believe that, oh, no, everybody, and they just don't want nothing to do with it. Yeah, so you talked about hormones affecting the body. Sure. Um, I think that's a good segue into the chakras. Um, it's said that each chakra is connected to a gland that mm -hmm. produces hormones in your body. Mm -hmm. And your thoughts will alter what hormones those glands release. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, like, do you agree with that and what kind of... I, I agree to a certain point and then I, I disagree. Um, it depends. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, if you focus on this chakra, this is going to happen. I would say that you need to have an understanding of the monkey brain. You need to have an understanding of the babbler. In other words, you need to have that clarity because at the end of the day, you know, chakras can absolutely affect your, your interior, your, your organs. Um, there's many things that I teach and I say to people, well, when you start, you're going to know. You're going to taste like a metallic taste in the back of your tongue. And it's kind of like a 9-volt battery touching the tip of your tongue, but you, you feel it like in a, about maybe the size of a, a, a two half dollars length or a half dollar length in the back of your tongue. And it just starts off ever so, so slowly. Um, there's also rushing effects of heat moving through you and sweating. These are all glandular produced. This is all about electricity being created through the chemistry of the human body. And of course, glands expanding retraction or producing more of a chemical. Um, so there is absolutely a connection. But if your thoughts are not following the correct process of working with your chakra point, then you're not going to get that result. So you're going to think, oh, it doesn't work. I thought if I just press here, it's going to work. So how powerful do you think our thoughts are? Um, I think thoughts are ultimately connected to 
the nature and aspect of God. I don't believe in reality in the sense that everything is physical. I believe everything's more like the matrix. And I think that if we accept that as our highest truth, and it's very, very hard, difficult to, to argue it, okay? But um, I think that all miracles that have ever taken place is a matter of consciousness invoking itself or reprogramming um, a small portion of reality. And so that's my take on it. So thoughts um, are incredibly powerful on many, many, many levels. On the most basic level, it's the power to make someone feel depressed or happy, um, the quality of their life, the success of their life, whether they become wealthy or impoverished. Um, you could be impoverished, but with the right kind of thinking and psychological thinking, uh, motivationally, you can get yourself maybe out of that situation depending on where you're born and what's going on. But um, your state of mind on the simplest level is going to dictate, we know this already, your health. We know the immune system goes up if you're an optimist. We know it goes down if you're a pessimist. You are affecting your entire inner universe. So it can have a profound effect on the amount of time that you live on this earth, the quality of life that you have. And I think on a spiritual level, it's the ability to affect people both emotionally by their, your presence, uh, energy fields, if you believe in that, they'll be affected. People can feel maybe up to about 32 feet, that's 64 feet between people, whether they feel drawn or, or something, a connection to you. Um, they don't have to hear you speak or anything, they just get a, a sense. Um, and then it goes into much more complex degrees to where you're able to, you know, move into what I consider psychic arenas and, and telepathy, which I think nobody really understands in the terminology of it's completely dead wrong. And that's why people are so confused when they hear terms like that. They think, oh, I want to hear words in my head. Um, you know, and you can keep moving up that ladder to profound levels to, you know, where you're seeing paranormal stuff that defies logic and science, but I don't think it defies logic or science. I just think the science is catching up, and they're almost there now. Mm. Yes, you talk about going up that ladder. Yeah. Um, I think people in our culture have all these self-limiting ideas mm -hmm. um, that keeps them down, mm -hmm. and I think it, it goes back to what you were talking about, the authority, you know, yes. uh, the social construct that keeps us in place so that we don't get too far out and, uh, you know, shake the status quo, whatever. Do you, so you can go up to these levels that people are like, oh, that's just superstition. That's not true. Right, right. Do you like how far do you think we can go with this? Like, well, no limit. Yeah, I, no I don't limit. think there is a limit. No limit. Uh, I mean, there's a whole lecture I had done which took like several days, and you know, I, I really decided to take an approach towards science and. Um, it, it really came down, and I don't want to go into it too much because it's very complicated, but where they were looking at photons of light, and when we would try to observe it, it would stop doing um, what it was doing. And when we, when we, uh, well, when we observed it, when we stopped observing it, it would switch and it would split per se. And there's no arguing, it's happening. And it's directly connected to consciousness. And it's really the most like, finite level to reality. So there's a number of things out there like that. So in the end, I, I think that um, we're like a hive collective of thought that holds it all together. And our brain also, the way that it perceives, nothing that you see is what you really think you're seeing. We're, it's all black inside your head. This is all reflected light, sound, everything that's being made into zeros and ones per se to your brain. So... You know, when you really think about it, you know, I, I just think it's an, it, it, anything is absolutely possible. So uh, you're going up that level, you're going to the ethereal 
arena, whatever you want to call it. Um, I mean, if you want me to be a little bit more broader for you, I think it's possible for, you know, what we would consider miracles. I don't really think they're miracles, but I, I think we're going to be using space technology to fold space and disappear, reappear somewhere else once we, we have technology that can amplify thought. and I think they will need thought. I think that there are certain miracles where, you know, uh, people have been able to do miraculous things, whether it be walk through a wall or to, to affect an object from a distance. Um, or to any level. I think it's just limited by the collective mind that's around it. It's like holding together the matrix to push against you. Yeah, and I think the more you connect with your spiritual side, the more you can access those. Uh... Absolutely. Well, the spiritual side is just simply you disconnecting from your organic side, the part right. that is what we're talking with. Mm -hmm. You connect with your spiritual side. What does that look like, per se? I know that's a pretty broad question. You can answer that a lot of different ways, but... Mm -hmm. When you think about accessing your spiritual side, like what is what comes to mind? What's the the greatest aspect of reaching your spiritual? Well, I you know the, that's an extremely broad question. I think this falls into that spectrum. I often say to people, think of it like a light that's a, a standing lamp on a floor, and you turn the light bulb, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. Okay, or you turn it down, it gets lower and lower and lower. So we are at the lowest setting of a dim light. Uh, for what we understand in the nature of our organic selves or through our organic selves. When you go into a deep meditation state, um, most people linger around a level of, of not thought, that's the achievement, but they're, they're not moving in their mind, they're just still. So therefore it's just quiet. And when they come out, it allows them to maybe focus on stuff better and everything else. But uh, I think that if you push through that, um, you go through what I consider a, a psychic level. You turn on more, more parts of your brain that start to get into what we call telepathy, psychic phenomena, um, empathetic abilities to feel other people, sensory, uh, psychometry to hold objects and get images because you're not filling your head with your own images. You're, you're able to hold it steady without letting your mind wander to the left or to the right, which takes you thousands of miles per se off track. So you can move through these things and you utilize those skills internally on yourself, which really isn't yourself if you can hold yourself in a meditative state of consciousness. This now starts making this, this frequency more illuminated. It's like you're turning this inner dial up to eventually you start moving your mind through stretching through time, through space. You can literally stop almost anywhere. This is how far you're able to go before like Star Trek, the ship starts to rattle. You got to constantly be working and, and developing your inner skills of consciousness. But ultimately we, you go through what we consider um, the planes of light you begin to see from seeing nothing or blackness to it's almost like uh, the sun is rising on a horizon at night and you, you think you see illumination starting and then before you know it's getting brighter and brighter and then all of a sudden you see this this red hue you know as if the sun was setting but it's rising so you, you see what you identify with light and with color and there's a part of you that realizes you don't really have eyes and there's another part of you that realizes that it's an entire environment, like you can see, you know, 180 or something, you know, completely around you. And your mind begins to fight with itself because it wants to see what's in front of it as if you're in the body, and this snaps you back out of it. The second you reflect on anything, that if you can accept it and hold yourself still and, and not 
kind of turn on yourself in a way to observe it, to understand it, then you move into deep levels of the planes of light, which become like these these vast ribbons of, I want to say like cloth or silk or something, but they're transparent. It's like fog uh, layers made of color, you know, very soft pastel, beautifully illuminated, and they're vast, and everything kind of has this, this level of a whitish backdrop, but there's these massive layers of, of color, and to explain the size is like watching the surface of the ocean move through the air, but you can see other oceans uh, moving off edges per se, and they're moving. And so if you move through that, then you move into what I call God consciousness. And God consciousness is this, in this process, you're, you're still fulfilling what I call the emptiness in your chest. It's this wanting desire to almost, like something's missing from you. And any white cell, any spiritual person feels us, and this is what drives us. It's like this connection to the universe. We're trying to fulfill like it's calling us. And it drives us crazy. We seek it our whole life. It exhausts us. Um, during this process, this starts to feel more fulfilled, more satisfied. It's almost like it's, it's like I'm home or I'm, I'm, I'm driving into my hometown now after being away for a decade or something. And eventually, you, you ultimately... Um, if you allow yourself to become completely consumed by this uh, frequency of the universe, God, if you will, love, if you will, whatever, it's the most blissful, ecstatic feeling that you can relate to still in an organic body until you just totally disconnect from, from yourself. Uh, and even then, it's a very remote part of you that you're even aware of. But it, the only way I can say is, is imagine a blanket, and if it was wet, as if it was heavy, but not water in it, and not cold, not, not hot, but each little speck of it was a ringing vibration. So it's like millions and millions of little tiny specks of vibration made into a giant heavy fabric that was laid on your body and it became you. It like fits in you almost. It's almost like being the, it's like a super hug. It's like, it's, there's this deep, deep love of completion, satisfaction. You're, you, there's no more life or death. There's no more anguish. There's no more frustration. No more trying or doing or anything. It's just complete ultimate returning to as if you were becoming part of something that you always were. Um, it's deeply satisfying, deeply healing. And you ultimately realize that you now have to go to your back, to your body. So it's like a life-death experience in some ways, I suppose. Um, and this, of course, has an effect or changes you, but as the dough works on you, you realize the dough is powerful too, and you start to forget that. Hence, you you've constantly are maintaining yourself because you're in an environment that you must swim. You don't have a choice. So, uh, in the end, to go beyond that um, is, in an organic self, is difficult and would be extremely hard to explain. I've done my best as far as that goes. But throughout this entire process, you have to understand there's always left and rights that you can take. And so you don't really just move to a certain state and stay there. Your mind never stops being inquisitive. And you want to meet other intelligences. You want to explore beyond your means. You have epiphanies. When you realize that you're somewhere else, the second you start thinking like a human being, it snaps out like a rubber band, slams you back down. I often say when people are laying there, they do this jump. There's a part of you that disconnects your body. When you think about the body, it slaps down. It's all happens in tens of seconds. It feels very similar to that. So when you are able to let go and let your mind move out, the idea is not to think about your body or think about what you're experiencing because that's thought. 
if you can refrain from that and your, your Kung Fu is good with your mind through your practice, then you're able to think without thinking. And I explain and I teach this so it makes sense. Um, and therefore, your inquisitive mind wants to see things. And then all of a sudden, you get a sense that there's something to your left or to your right if you can think like that. And when you do, you start to see what is a mirage. And that mirage starts to get more and more defined as you begin to observe it. If you start to define, do I see a building, do I see water, do I see a tree, it stops instantly. If you can not have the verbal thought, but still have the consciousness of wanting to know that, you know it's a tree, you know there's a building, maybe, it starts to become very, um, very HD. And you're able to move in more skill, more Kung Fu skill allows you to move through that region of whatever you're seeing. This is kind of a, a level of remote viewing. So it's like accessing your higher knowledge. It's exactly what it is. Instead of um, thinking with your brain and your neurons, you're thinking with that higher knowledge you'll always be thinking in part with your neurons and your okay. brain because it's a conduit i explained to to people that as long as you're an organic body it's absolutely necessary it's the mind body connection you, yes it, it you're you're you've made an agreement to to have a relationship in the sense with your organic self which is made out of billions and trillions of living protozoan organisms you are basically god to your inner universe mm -hmm. Okay, hence the whole effect with negative positive thoughts affecting your immune system and everything else. So you can't just, just let that go 100%. You can let it automate, and that's a better word that allows people to go further out. The second you say let go, people have a fear of death, and that's what keeps them stuck and not having any of these experiences. It's almost like you have to reinvent terminology and trust levels with yourself to know nothing's going to happen to you. Once you can really believe that, you can go deeper and wider in your experiences profoundly. But at the end of the day, you will always have this, this, this way of tucking away that information to remember it. It's still relaying. It's still processing. So as I was saying before, I, I often say we have cell phones in here. And if somebody was to call us from Germany or from Russia or from China or from Japan, Everybody's cell phone would have the frequency of that specific call move through globally as long as there's towers within reason. But only yours will decipher it. Okay? And that deciphering comes down to the technology in it. So it's able to translate that. My uh, computer may not be able to get a cell phone call. My car stereo will not get a cell phone call, but it will get, and specifically radio stations where my phone may not. Okay, or my computer, and so on and so forth. So your brain is basically the conduit of processing information on higher levels. And this is why I often say when you have dreams and you wake up, you lose a lot of that data. It's not able to, to compress it and, and park it a lot. And in some cases, it can. It depends. So it's much the same way. Or people who do um, LSD, hallucinogenic drugs, they'll have these profound epiphanies, mm -hmm. these, these huge experiences. And then when you ask them later, like, I barely remember most of it. I just remember having the revelation, but I remember how I got there. It's, it's like the, the brain wasn't able to retain or hold the information because uh, I teach that there's a, a secondary layer of static energy around your brain almost. And it actually encompasses your whole body, really. But... And it's another intelligence. There's three intelligences. And so, in essence, it's able to do, but if you want to use that in, in your organic form, then you have to find an agreeable process to let that uh, more or less be, be kept and structuralized in your organic brain, uh, biochemically stored, if you will. 
And so you have to, to understand how to let that, that process happen in your own mind. The way you describe that kind of sounds like the crown chakra. It's like above your brain kind of, and mm-hmm. it, it, it accesses you to that Godhead is right. how it's kind of described. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've brought up reaching that God mind state or, mm-hmm. you know, however you want to describe it. What, uh, how would you describe God? What, like, what do you think God is? Well, this is a very touchy um, subject because a lot of people have an ideal of what God is. Right. And whether they admit it or not, they have an expectation. And I think a lot of that is the social getting back to that authority yes, thing. Yes. God, God is the authority mm-hmm. in our, a lot of people's lives. So when someone asks me that question, I, I tend to step back and I have to kind of assess what yes, level of very. answer I'm going to give. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's always level one, two, three, maybe even level twenty. Okay, um, I think that that God is is an is an ever present energy, and I think most people can understand that. When you take it two notch further, I say it's kind of like Wi-Fi everywhere, but way better. It goes through the whole universe. It doesn't need towers. Um, it's very similar to the organic body. Your body's communicating constantly with all the cells and structures, and it's got wins and losses, and you're constantly changing, just like the universe is doing, okay? And there's a connectedness. But when people start to say, well, you know, I have this relationship with God, and God talks to me, or I have angels, or I have a guardian spirit, or whatever, I have a little bit of trouble with that, because they want to personalize God, and I believe that there's a personal relationship but that's too simplistic of an answer that I hear from them and I think that well better to say nothing or they're not going to listen or want to learn from you it's like it doesn't fit in their box of how they want to see and when you do that you limit your level of gaining knowledge and uh, experiences if you will so I think people do that unconsciously at the end of the day I don't think I don't think that God necessarily has a very strong relationship in our day-to-day lives. I don't think it's necessarily um, concerned with life and death as we see it. Mm. Um, I would say then, you know, why stop its relationship, you know, with, with humans? Why not have it go into the animal kingdom? Why not have it go into nature? Why not have it go into space to, to other forms of worlds and life that we know things have happened to? Um, I think that, that the universe always sees life as life. And that life is ever changing, like organisms, but on another level, uh, energy, if you will. And if a body dies, it doesn't really die. The energy simply transforms. Or if you've done good practice, you're able to keep your energy together, which is your consciousness. And that's what I truly think is a true soul, and is able to migrate like like a an organism through water, looking for another host per se. Mm. And if you do not learn to, to control that energy while you have the option to self-reflect and, and give birth to a whole other you, okay, then you dissipate that consciousness into larger organisms the same way that you do. You eat animals, you eat plants, you eat vegetation, and you take the, the structure of that to some degree into you. In some ways, you might even take thoughts and information that's, that's in, kind of in the cell structure. Um, it depends on how it's processed, per se. So I see the universe operating consistently, and it's not judgmental to say, oh, well, this is a special level. It, the idea is that if you can attain enough self-awareness, you change the system for yourself, and that's enlightenment, that's self-awareness. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's how uh, spirituality and science can merge together. Agree. 
you have this creator, the, the source of the energy of the life. And of course it's more concerned with that spiritual, uh, well-being livelihood than the, the livelihood of the material that it's inside. Um, so it, it makes a lot of sense that it, it's like the God is nature. God is the laws of nature. Yeah. And that's how they kind of marry together. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as say God is the law of nature. I would say that your level to understand something, and, and this is very difficult to explain to people because I don't want to, to insult them, uh, but is based upon your level of intellect by which you can interpretate what is presented to you. And when things start to get too complex, it's, it's like explaining to somebody very young, the, you know, how an airplane actually uses aerodynamics to fly, okay? It's, it's, it's just things that somehow staying up there. And it can understand flight, it can understand what it's doing to a certain degree, but maybe not all the aspects of it. So when one starts talking about God, I would say that I don't think God would necessarily, when you say nature, and what governs it, I would say that, that nature is different on every single world or planet if there's life. And even if there's not life, there's aspects to it. But, but each is uniquely different based on the size of the planet, the gravitational pull on it. But the fundamental laws are probably very much similar depending on what atmosphere is there, et cetera, so on and so forth. Now, maybe I'm overthinking it. But this is where I get into these catch-22s where somebody will email me and say, well, Eric, how can you say that God is the law of nature and da-da-da? Don't you think that that law would change? So how does that make sense? So there's always somebody out there who wants to throw a wrench in the system, and it's like, ah, which way should I explain it on what level? Um, I, I think that the laws of the universe are designed by the universe, but they're ultimately designed to be ever self-improving and changing and applicable. So... I think that God is bored to death, and I think God created the universe who was amused. And all of it is part of, of God really being, I don't want to say entertained, but a level of, of thinking. Um, I think that if you were God, if you were the totality of the universe and you were all that existed, what do you do? You, you, you know, as far if, if as far as we can understand, you want to be mentally stimulated. You need to think. You need to, to have something like aha. And when you're super intelligent, super calculating, and super capable, okay, that level needs a certain significant amount of data to start becoming interesting. If you want to look at it from a human perspective, and that's the other cliche that's in this. But trying to come at it from from an aspect that that I think others can understand is that. I think that God is, is very aware of everything that's happening and it's observing, it's, it's waiting for aha moments and most of the time there's no ahas but once in a while we probably do something unique or something unique happens in the universe and it's, it, it's kind of hoping to learn something or see something that's, that's new or different. I think it's definitely integrated. I think that there are pros and cons like the body. There are things that want to destroy what he's created and loves deeply. And there are elements of danger and there are, are elements of, of surprise and growth, which I think he, he really wants or it really wants. But I think it's incredibly complex. Love is arguably the most important concept to humanity. It shows itself everywhere. Uh, the majority of songs have the word love in them. Every spiritual text or religious text has love all over it. 
Uh, every story is about love, people finding each other. Uh, there's all these different uh, realms of love, all these different ideas of what love is that people discuss. It's like a never-ending topic. What do you think love is? I know that's another broad question. No, it's a very simple one. It's completion. It sh it, I think it should be simple, but I think people yeah. overcomplicate it. Yeah. What do you think love is? And also, what do you think God's connection to love is? Well, I, I think love is a need to feel complete. Mm. And we go through life feeling a sense of incompleteness, like there's something else we need. Yeah. And even when we think we find it, we ultimately decide at some point, well, this isn't completely fulfilling me anymore. So the complete fulfillment is to find aspects of love in, in different weights and measures, which is companionship, acceptance, compassion, uh, nurturing. We, we get this from young on. We, we, I mean, I often hear that if a baby doesn't get touched in X amount of time, it'll die. I don't know how true that is. But I, I would lean towards the fact that it is a necessity to have this, this interaction. It's a need. And so I think ultimately what's behind it is, is returning back to, to God and to have a loving, accepting. If you really think about it, love is really detachment. It's really the, 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 the aspects of spirituality in the sense of reaching a higher state no matter what religion, no matter what philosophy. And that you're ultimately in the end seeking God. You're ultimately in the, in the end looking for that completion, completion in you that I was talking about earlier. And so we go through processes, depending on who you are, that I need a companion to find that. That's the first reasonable level. Or if that companion has it, it's wonderful, then all of a sudden the biochemicals wear off and you're like, oh, now I'm not feeling that. I need it from somewhere else. And you know, maybe I need children to feel that. Maybe I need what Ultimately, you're going to have levels of love because the aspect of God, I think, is in, in, in almost anything if you, if you choose to see it and accept it. So I think in the end, what you see is love in someone is really their connection to the universe. You're, you're seeing that part of them within that person, which is a wonderful thing because it's, mm. it's part of them. But ultimately, it, it's an exploration to return back to what you came from. So um, religion is obviously a touchy subject. But what do you think, I mean, obviously it's one of the, the greatest uh, things that... One of the, the greatest things that's, dis, that's, that's damaged uh, yeah, it, society, I would say. Right, yes. it's, it's one of humanity's most like profound uh, works, if you right. will. You know, like sure. we're always, sure. you know, what do you think is the purpose of, of religion? And what do you think are some of the pros and cons well, there's a lot of cons, and there's there's Definitely. some pros. Um, you know, religion's not all bad. It's it's really the people who are involved with it yes. that begin to corrupt it. Most of right. them probably start off with good intentions, mm -hmm. but what you have is something that that starts off with wanting to be compassionate. More people get on board, and it starts to be about exploiting, getting money, power, prestige, influence over kingdoms and and kings and queens and empires. Um, you know, this is all an exploit, exploitation of what I believe is the, that humanity's need to fill that space in your chest. And the calling of the universe is constantly there for all people if, if they want to feel it or hear it. And so what we lack is, as the human race is, is a manual that says, the, here are all your answers. Don't go down this road. Don't go down. This is, this is going to get you there. And it's more of a matter of choice, but it's also a matter of intelligence and thinking and making the right decisions. And I think that's what, what the universe is kind of observing. 
So I see many religions exploiting and recognizing this need in, in human beings to find this completion or connection, and they just don't have an answer. I don't think anybody starts off having answers, no matter how strong that calling is. And some people, it's stronger than others. They just simply know religion's not for me. They, they have the instinct. Other people don't have that. They're not evolved to that level consciously or spiritually. It just means that if you believe in reincarnation, you came in stronger, and so you've already sorted that. If you if you haven't, you're you're given a recipe book, and you're told this is how you do things, this is what you do, this is what you think, this is the only thing you read, and it becomes your bubble. It becomes your your values, your ideas, how you see stuff, and you're in a bubble within a bigger bubble of society. And so it has fear to, to govern you from wandering off and learning new things and come to your own conclusions. Right. It does the thinking for you. Mm -hmm. So if you ask me, it's my team versus your team mentality. And in the process, this has spurned wars, killed millions of people. It's, it's been just more awful than good in the end. And instead of unifying the world as one species, mankind, it's, it's really kept us very separated and if you don't agree with my ideas, it's, it's something where they aggressively want to suppress you. So I like to think of religion and spirituality as two different things. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Right. And I think religion was made out of the desire for spirituality and that desire yes. for that uh, Absolutely. connection to Absolutely. God. It's, it's something that somebody's seen, tried to give answers, and then other people eroded it, exploited it, right. and made it to what it was. Yeah. People, prolific figures who came to yeah. certain realizations, truths yeah. that they gave to others who yeah. followed. And so back to the chakras, there's this idea of subtle energy and the aura and that they're connected with the chakra. Um, what do you think about that? What, what's your take on the whole uh, aura? Well, I absolutely believe the aura is really real. The, the biggest thing that upsets me is when people... I ask them, can you see the aura? And either they'll say no, or they'll say, yes, I can see the aura. And I'll go, well, what does it look like? And they'll go, well, you know, it's this glow around you and everything else. And I'm saying, so you really don't see it with your eyes. And they're like, well, no, I kind of envision it. I'm like, you do know you can see it with your eyes. Just like you can see a bookcase, a chair, a dog, a cat with your eyes. And they're like, mm, I don't know. Yeah, I think. I don't know why there's such a need for people to what I call fake it. Um, it's like they don't want to be wrong or to be outed as being like you don't have this skill or that skill or something. It's just, it's just absurd because that's what crystallizes you spiritually. And it's very frustrating for me. Um, so uh, I believe in the aura because I can see the aura. And I teach people all day long how to see the aura. I've taught this other person in the room how to see auras. I teach hundreds of people to see the aura. In fact, I can show multi-levels of the aura. I can show you how to see an aura if you don't know how to see an aura in probably three minutes or less. So for me, it's very real. Um, to me, it's as real as me saying, well, the chair's not real, but there I'm knocking it, but I can distinguish it with one of my senses. That's a beginning start. And therefore, if you can see the aura, I always say, um, it's very dismissive to my students because it's one of the first things we teach. And after a while, they don't even think about it anymore. They're just like, oh, it's just the aura, you know? And I'm like, no, it is a, a foundation to build you psychologically to move in the right direction. Because you're told that it's maybe there, it's maybe not, just like everything else. But here you have something that you can relate to. And psychologically, your brain says, I can't deny what I'm observing. I can't deny that it's not there. 
you've got to use that as your springboard to move up to the next level of experiences and, and keep moving your way up. And that's what I do with people because it's that confidence that breaks that governor down and allows you to expand and unfurl your consciousness and to have profound experiences. So the, the aura is energy. It's, it's a layer of your consciousness, your neural system in your body, your little magnetic field of your body, if you will. It's, it's the nuclear plant of energy that's emanating from creating life in your body, from eating food and stuff. And it's also uh, uh, the converging point and radiating out any level of, of creating what I consider a second body. Um, what what some people would deem as the soul. I think, uh, and I've said this before, and people have a knee-jerk reaction, um, that not everybody has a soul. I think you have an aura, but that doesn't mean you've learned to, to work with that energy to create another vessel for your consciousness to exist outside of your body. And so when people do not develop that when they die, I think just like, you know, uh, uh, you know, science would say, well, you just, your body decomposes, it goes back to the earth, and all of your electricity and energy dissipates or gets absorbed into something else. And my answer is, well, there's, the planet is a living organism, just like the cells in your body sacrifice their experience for you through your neuro system. Something died, electrically carried that soul to your brain in like a little sugar cube in the ocean. It became part of your awareness, and it's happening on a, a very fast intense rate constantly. There's always things living and dying surrendering their data to you as a bigger collective, as, as most living beings will to the Earth, and the solar systems will to the, the galaxies, and the galaxies to the, to the universe. That's God as a living organism. Mm. To become separate from that and be more independent, to be able to exist in the massive organism, you need self-reflection. And that means that you, you are aware of the aura, you're aware of consciousness, you're aware that it's static zeros and ones, if you will, okay? And you start to train it or control it to become a structure of energy that when you leave your organic body, it's still holding you together. So if the wind blows, it doesn't really, it's more like a bubble that doesn't pop. You can control it in a way, but it's not really a bubble. Um, where most people, I think, it's like smoke, and the wind comes and it dissipates it into this bigger field. You're able to keep yourself together, your, your consciousness. This is a body, this is a soul. And this is the achievement of a life's work of, of self-reflection. So... The, the aura holds all of those things for me. Everything has an aura. Every object has an aura. And you can see it with your eyes because it absorbs energy. And I often say it's kind of like a little sponge. And if you pour milk into the sponge drip by drip, you won't see it radiating off. But eventually it will swell and then it will start dripping the, the milk off of it. So everything has a, an aura because it's absorbing heat, light, this conversation. It's not echoing. It's being absorbed as a form of energy into the entire environment. So everything, in a sense, has a kind of energy emanating from it, no matter what it is. But living things, dog, cat, plant, human beings, anything that's able to organize thought on a certain level, okay, the energy begins to differ a bit, and it gets more complex or, or different in a way. It's programmable more so. And so, um, so there's different kinds of aura energy, but the aura is everywhere, and the aura can extend out. There's layers. The closest layer is about an inch that comes off of you, um, give or take. It can reduce down or extend out, depending. And uh, it actually extends out to about 32 feet, rule of thumb, okay? But as it moves out, it becomes a little bit more difficult to see because it's like spectrum changing. Um, but it's like little tentacles all around you. So that's when you're at a party or something, 
you really can feel everybody, but there's someone that's unique or special that comes in and you just know you want to turn or there's something there and you're looking. That's because these two fields actually are communicating on a subconscious level. It's kind of like when somebody's looking at you and yes. you can feel it. And you yeah, look their around. consciousness is on you, but your energy is moving behind you as well as forward. So mm-hmm. those two energies go on. There's this sense of knowing and that's, that's data sharing. So it goes out... Around thirty-two. Well, thirty-two, but there's no limit to it. It's just I was about it's, to ask. Yeah, yeah it can... it's it's just if you understand enough, you start to make it go into Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And if you, the problem with human beings is we we think of ourselves as individual. We walk around in two right. feet. We're limited by our body, and we, we that's how we think. The whole idea. We think of, of what we can see. Inner reflection is to detach that kind of thinking and find other ways. When you start to to do that you, and start defining yourself as an individual in, a, in an organic body then all of a sudden you start to get impressions and knowledge and you start with practice being able to control it. It's like Wi-Fi. You're, you're part of a bigger living organism. This is how you want to look at that. It's like saying, well, is your arm you? And the answer is no. It's made out of billions of living organisms that you're hotwired in and they share data with you. Okay, So each little cell is aware of other parts of you through some big collective sharing information. I don't see my role any different. I just see it as layers. There's the Gaia level, which I think is the level of the planet being an organism, and everybody on it is just a living organism within it, just like your body. It's just macro, micro, macro, micro, macro, micro. We're just bigger, smaller levels of what level you want to go on. So you dial into what I call the, the Gaia mind, and you can move on then to something bigger. You can move into the solar system mind. It's a different kind of server of, of information in there. And it's only accessible if you pr- approach it in a certain way. And then it goes on, of course, to the universe, mm. which is God. Yeah. I think we're, our society is moving toward this direction of, uh, I guess, apathy, you could say, mm-hmm. especially for our spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, especially in my uh, generation, very few people think about religion, want anything to do with religion. Smarter. And the, some try to move towards spirituality and just trying to access their spirituality. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them just don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Do you think that we're moving towards uh, just a complete denial of our spirituality as a culture? Well, this, this kind of thinking has always existed. It's, it's just a matter of, of really looking at it and seeing that. If you were to go back in time, lower the population, then lower the expectation of people you meet per ratio. And I think that in order for the planet to exist, just like your body, here we go with the red cell, white cell thing, okay? This is where I got to brace myself, and here we go, I'll lay it on you. Your body, if you had to go down to your white cells and your red cells, is predominantly red cell. And it has a very small amount of white cells, and then... If there was an increase of white cells abundantly and less red, what happens to the ecosystem of your body? You're going to get sick and die, okay? You need, I hate using this word, workers, okay? But somebody's got to maintain the wounds and the deterioration of your body as best it can as it's progressing through time, okay? In this world, we need people to constantly be bees, in a sense, harvesting, working on fixing bridges, building bridges, building structures, repairing structures, maintenance, there is a relationship to the planet as a living organism. And it needs people to live, experience, and die for it to garner knowledge on its level as an organism. If it doesn't have that and everybody attains a level of consciousness that does not move on, do you see what I'm saying? Then 
you, you, you get into different variations of issues. I see the planet as a living organism. That means there has to be an element to it, a percentage, that lives and dies contributing itself to you. If everything had a soul in your body and didn't contribute its information, because that's what it is, then you wouldn't be able to exist. Do you follow me? Mm -hmm. You don't see it that way, and we want to have empathy for us as individuals and go, oh, now we get a soul, we go to heaven. Sure, whatever. I, I don't want to be a jerk. But at the end of the day, I'm a, kind of a scientist slash spiritualist, and I just want the truth. And I don't want it candy-coated. I just want the truth. And my truth is God exists, but it's not something that you're just given as a privilege. It's something you earn, and a lot of people don't want to do the work. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, I think that what you are seeing is perfectly what has always been. There will be people who don't, and I've said this before, they don't give a rat's ass about self-reflecting, spirituality, or nothing. They're not designed for it. And no different than, than a red cell is specifically designed to do the labors of a white cell in your body, nor a white cell to do the labors of the red, but yet they, they work with each other. Mm -hmm. They're very similar if you were to look at a distance quickly. Um, but a white cell will identify what a virus is. It will gather other white cells together before it makes a move on it. Red cells will just walk up to opidopidopido, and I don't know, like a dinosaur, it eats it. Um, there's not an awareness of that. So I think that there are people who have the mutant gene, if you will, and there are people who don't. And there are plenty of people who have that gene who become the victim of religion, the victim of, of other kinds of methods of spiritual teaching, if you will. And so those percentages get lower and lower until you get to somebody who evolves to what I call super cells, uh, white cells, that we actually know are in the body also. And ironically, they carry the data of other battles they've been in through through history, through humanity that you've gotten genetically passed on to you. Hmm. And they will resurface at the at a critical moment if the main white cells fail. I don't see a huge leap in difference. It's just a matter of one says, well, we're human beings. You know, how can that be? And I'm like, no, you're going to have a little bit of stretch of your thinking. Right. Um, yeah. So that's how I see it. So there's a part of me that wishes that all humanity could achieve a level of um, uh, white cellness, but you you have to understand something. We could do that, okay? But there are dynamics to evolution that are in play that, you know, it's what weeds out a weaker generation versus a stronger one when we look at nature, okay? When we look at us, if we've already done this through medicine by extending our life and everything. Um, I could go on forever. I don't know if it's a good time to, to really put this out. I have hours and hours of lectures and different stuff. But at the end of the day, I hate to say it's a necessary evil in a way, but if the planet is an organism, then it too needs contribution to it. Do you see what I'm saying? As, a, as an expanding intelligence, no more, no less than you do. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't think there's a difference. All I can hope is that humanity will rise with a level of compassion, love, and the, the people who have an effect on that, I think, are going to be unique people. And why, why, why can't there be? There are people who are driven to be great musicians, poets, writers, scientists. 
actors. Um, other people rise to other stuff, other people don't. They, they just feel passionate about it. But they lead and then they affect society in different ways through the, their tools of contributing to society. I think advanced spiritual people have an effect greatly. I think we're like noise. We, we broadcast a frequency out and it has an effect on the psyche of other people. Yeah, I agree. And I think everybody has the capacity to get to that point. Um, everybody has the capacity to become whatever they want to be. They just have to, it comes down to practice, dedication, and a passion for it. Well, that is how good you get at it. Right, but yeah. I think there are people who, who have an interest, but they're going down the wrong road, or they, in the end, lack the ability to, to focus and to, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to experiences. Show me something. Show me. Show me. Show me. Show me. That is what I've based the principle of what, how I teach. I believe and give a person an experience that's worth a thousand bucks. If they have that experience, then they're ready to move on to the next thing. And if they don't have an experience, then they're dismissive because proof is experience. And that's the end of the day, what it's coming down to. And I think that we're getting to a more logical level of society. Absolutely. We have the internet. We can Google something in two seconds, get information. 90% of it is the wrong information. Yeah, it's because the it's, information. It's, but... it's people who put their ideas in you know, wiki or whatever uh, online. That's really everybody's contribution of data, and they can make it go any way they want. So if you got haters that can move in a direction of hate, if you got people who, who are more honest, they're going to move in that way. But it's like everything is controlled over which majority has got the most energy to put into it, and then that starts to be the winning psyche. Um, so I, I have issues with the, the internet and data, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of good information on there also. But it's, it's data-driven and less experiential, and I think that's what it comes down to, is people want the information, the ooh, the ah, but when it comes down to actually putting it in practice in good form, that's where, where they're, they, they lack. Yeah, well, you could spend your entire life learning something, but if there's no application, you're not going to get anywhere with it. Correct. I but think, you'd be surprised how many people that just want the information. Well, I, yeah, I think it comes down to, uh, like, look at our schooling. Mm. You, you know, tests are becoming the pinnacle of success. You have to learn this information and regurgitate it so that you get an A, so you can go to college and go to grad school and get a good job. There's no application in that. You are just in lectures until you're 30, mm -hmm. and then you try to get a job and apply that. Uh, obviously, it depends on the, the career that you're going towards. But yeah, I think it, it starts at a very young age where we're taught that you have to learn things. and. Well, I, I, I think that, that that's always been around. I think it's just taken on different forms and new methods. I think that if you were you know, in Europe before there was America, you were told at a young age you're going to be like your parents. Yeah, that's true. You're going to be a shoemaker. You're I, a I think that's the authority again. You right. Know, whatever and society. I think that's a necessity for the organism as an evolving planet. Mm -hmm. That's how we, we are managed. Like a honeybee can't just all of a sudden stop doing what it's doing. It has right. a certain role, a certain job. Um I think that um, we may get frustrated with that process, but there I don't like to think of it as selfishness, but I often say to students, stop trying to fix everybody, fix yourself. And when you fix yourself and you got yourself just right, then you can help everybody. Yeah. Instead of just a few. And so um, there's there's going to always be that battle that you have to understand other people will never see it the way that you see it unless you meet your own kind of people and you create or you enter into a society that's learned to be a subculture within society. 
and that's how you find your shelter. And this is what religion has done also. And I think this is where the good part of religion is, is that when people are like, I am not finding me, it's the best thing to settle towards, is they find a religion that's as close to what they ideally would want, and then they adapt into that thinking. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, as I grow older, there is absolutely a level of wisdom in life that one acquires versus intelligence or knowledge that you have from the universe and you incorporate into it. And I think that... Um, when you look at disasters in the world or you look at things, I think that people that are younger have a shorter length of memory to draw on to say that there's been other times in history like this, so it seems new to them or intense, or in their memory, they've never experienced anything like that. So even for adults who've lived longer, you if you could go back 100 years, 300 years, 500 years, thousands of years, you, you'd start seeing repetition in certain things, but of course there's there's variations and extremeness, like what's going on now, but if you go back in time for just, like let's say, climate change, the planet used to be a lot hotter than it is now. There was the okay. Ice Age, too. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm not saying that I don't think humans have a hand in it, because I, I certainly think there's a lot of elements that have a hand in it, but I think that a lot of times, spiritually, the same thing is happening, is that you're awakening, you're searching, you're looking for answers, and you're saying to yourself, wow, there's a lot of people who just don't care about this and it's affecting my life and my world and everything. This is the same argument you would have heard back in the 1960s or 1930s or 1900s or in other cultures going back, you know, a thousand years. You will, you, this divide has always existed. And this, the sooner that you can recognize it as that, the sooner you empower yourself because then you can strategize better. You can decide whether you're going to work on yourself and, and look at the world and find a way to adapt to it. But is if you consistently are drawn into that debate, that's energy. It takes energy from you to rationalize. Why? 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 It's so frustrating. Instead of having, well, now I know why they act this way. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely history repeats itself. Would you, would you argue that we've lost our spiritual way throughout the thousands of years if you look back at, like, the religions were? Um, I think that it's an ever-evolving thing. And I, I don't think we've lost ourselves or gained ourselves. I think that there's transitions of beliefs and thinking. And I think it's often economically run if it's a religion. And as the economics change or a richer get, an area gets richer, the education gets better. I mean, religion feeds off of the poor because they have a lower education. So it depends on the religion. And as a, as a place gets more wealthier, the, the intellect rises from education. And you see that there's still a, an interest in, in spirituality and religion, but it starts to transition slowly or the demands get higher. Um, so, in the end, I, I think it's an ever-changing thing. You see from Hinduism to Buddhism to, to Muslim to Christian, you, if you were to do a color map of the planet over hundreds of years, you, you'd see expansion, rise, fall, blips coming up in different areas, rise, fall. So, um, I, I think that you would see different kind of thinking. You see the emergence of a, a new kind of thinking. Now, you could say it's a religion or it's a, a group thinking. Um, it, the thing that's interesting is if you go back into humanity and you watch the level of, of religion, one of the things that you can get a pulse of is that um, without cultures ever meeting one another, they still began to unify into a single God concept, into moving from gods, and they would move that way. But there was always this sense of other presence, mm. and I think that's the most important part that, that drove us to try to find answers. Um, so I think that's going to continue 
And I do think that there's a disconnect. I just think it's a matter of us finding a way to interpret through our new intelligence, our new understanding, science, logic, internet that's given that to us to approach things. I love science. I don't want to say I'm the guy, but I definitely feel like I'm, I'm the guy uh, because I, I teach everything from quantum physics to string theory, and I think they're all united under the same thing. I just don't adhere to religion or to the common denominator. Everybody has a soul. Everybody goes to heaven or do I go to hell. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make logic to me. But if you want to be, per se, a Jedi or you want to develop yourself to a level and you can can have a greater understanding instead of this new age kaka I call it or, or religion kaka then you're going to achieve uh, quite profound things we religion as we've talked about is uh, just uh, trying to attain that spiritual awakening or well they're, they're losing it and I don't think they really gave anybody a spiritual way I think they gave them a limited level of comfort and the idea that there are things in life bigger than you that you can't control. That's right. very scary. So that's the that's the overarching theme of religion is yes. trying to answer those questions. Yeah. And nowadays, you know, like we like what we're talking about, it's always like repeating itself throughout history, but nowadays we've got certain things that we haven't had before, like, you know, weapons of mass destruction. We can right. destroy the planet over a million right. times and we have all these conflicts that are that are really getting to a point, to a breaking point, you know. Do you think uh, we'll eventually get to a place where we'll have a unified, it doesn't have to be religion necessarily, but spiritual understanding or unified kind of well, way of living um, that we all would adhere like to? to be, if, you, if I was younger, I'd probably be more optimistic in certain ways, but I don't want to sound like I'm going to become a jaded old guy. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of dynamics to life that we don't understand and necessity, and we want to think we understand it, and it should be this way or that way. Mm, uh, this may sound a little bit of a stretch for you, but imagine a pond, and the pond has an ecosystem frogs, flies, mosquitoes, larvae. I mean, there's a whole cycle, okay? If you begin to remove one of those things, then you have a collapse of an ecosystem where something else is going to thrive, and it's probably going to throw everything off. Fortunately, there is this energy that constantly, eventually pushes everything towards a an order to, the, to whatever it evolves to. That's to me is a, this presence that I call like God of the universe, okay? But there's a, a level of collapse and chaos meaning equaling death. And so I think that if you think of the God, uh, uh, Kali or Shiva or whatever, there is this, this thing where they show them to the Westerners where this God is crushing skulls and body and looks like it's got a face of a demon hissing with teeth and everything. And the Buddhists are like, oh no, no, this is like a good thing. It's hard for us to understand it, so our thinking gets in the way. What it comes down to is the same thing as a giant field for a farmer, and the season has come and gone, and he wants to plant seeds, but it's hard as a rock. So he has to take the this uh, pitchfork kind of thing and stab it in the ground, turn it, get air in the soil, and loosen it up and soften it so you can put seeds in there. And this process of, of stabbing in there, breaking it up, turning it to create something new from it, create an opportunity for life to go... I think it's the same thing that has to happen in the world. That 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 strife in some ways creates causation to, to make better things. When I say this to students of mine, imagine an island. And on this island, it's always 80 degrees. 
there's always fruit that falls from the tree, there's tons of vegetation, the fish jump out of the water, you can cook it, there's never a storm, there's never danger, there's never anything, okay? You can just walk around in a bikini all day and make love and eat, and the, you get hungry, oh, just happens to fall from tree, bananas, fruits, whatever you want, okay? The fish jumps out of the ocean and you laugh. If you went back in a thousand years and you say, has life evolved, you probably wouldn't see much of a change at all. And I say, look at different parts of the world versus the equator and civilizations, how they how they grew and expanded. Some people might say, well, there's cities there now. And I'd say, but who traveled there and brought that technology that was developed somewhere else? You see, it's, it's more in the areas where it's the Goldilocks zone, I call it, of cold weather but warm weather so you can build during the warm and, and be preparing for the cold and, and this gives a drive it's it's purpose it's thinking how do we create better energy sources how do we create better structures how do we create better crops in a certain amount of time so there's always a strive for improvement i believe that's part of evolution this is something that's been around this this drive this this presence i think it's part of the force still when one says to me as a whole, will we ever have a complete peace on earth? We will have a greater level of peace, okay? But you're always going to have people who think differently. And because there are differences, everybody is going to bump heads. And I, I think that it's a necessary thing in certain ways to move us to think better, smarter, and consistently evolving ourselves. Once that, that happens, you can say, well, we're going to explore the universe. I can assure you there are going to be groups of people that say, we don't want to leave. It's good here. We shouldn't mess with the universe. Otherwise, we're going to bring aliens here to, to bring bad things. So um, one of the things that I, I thought was very interesting years ago, I read an article on the human brain. They study people, and they found that uh, Republicans' brain was a little bit different than Democratic's brain. And I went, well, it'll never end. So, in, you know, the only way we're going to really unify, and I've said this for over 20 years, is if there is a giant meteorite that we know is going to take out the planet, we all have to unite and be like, yo, brother, it's not going to be like, hey, you're this race or that race. It's it's like, oh, we're going to get yeah. along famously, okay? Let's all get our technology together, you know, and let's, let's solve this problem, or if it's an alien race. They're not going down there saying, oh, we only like this species of humanity. They're going to say, you're all, you're just... All the human race, and we're going to get rid of you. We're, we're going to unite real fast and forget real fast any racism, any issues, any color of skin. That's going to be a non-issue. So Independence so, Day, that's what that movie exactly. is Exactly. And that is the highest truth. And, you know, I, but how did that come to be if that happens? Was it passive? Do you see what I'm saying? It, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's fear and having to... To deal with a situation, it's this is tension. bigger than us rather than 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 on one landmass versus another landmass. Yeah, there's got to be that tension to have the desire to dissipate that tension. To get over and your BS, you, to get yeah. over your issues, and to see the qualities in people that you want to see to survive. It's built in us. Right. And so um, even if, if aliens came down, they were super peaceful. If you think we're not going to fight with none of them, are you crazy? There are going to be some people, it's, it's the devil coming down. There are going to be other groups that think, oh, they're, they're too you know, yellow looking in skin, so they're going to side with the, the, the Asians and not us, and so we've got to be prepared for that. And you know, it's, It seems to me that sometimes a threat is greater than, than a passive good thing because it's like we're a bunch of monkeys. We just don't get it. Mm. The smart, intelligent people will, but unfortunately, they don't run the world always. So you, you need, so I don't think it's ever going to end. It's just a matter of, of who's going to have the Mustafa stick. 
and just kind of give everybody a good whack and say, come on, get some sense to you now. Uh -huh. You know, who's, who's the most level? Who's the most connected to it? Uh, he, they who are the most connected to the universe will, will probably have the biggest stick eventually. I would agree with that. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so I, I grew up in a Christian home and um, my parents were always great about having us, me and my brothers, create our own faith, uh, explore and, and figure out what we believe. Mm -hmm. um, and I always really appreciated that. I have taken my, my ideas a lot further than my brothers. They're mm -hmm. very much still in the Christian bubble. Mm -hmm. um, but the, I've thought a lot about heaven and hell because it mm -hmm. never really quite rung true to me, the sure. way that they described sure. it. Sure. Um, so I, I want to describe to you what, what my interpretation of heaven and hell are and see what you think about that. Okay. Um, I don't think that there is a hell. Mm -hmm. I think an all-loving creator mm -hmm. would not create a place mm -hmm. where the people who uh, didn't do what he wanted would burn in hell and be forever tortured. Mm -hmm. um, an all-loving God, I don't think, would do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it says in the Bible that God... When, when we die, our soul will be with him. So mm -hmm. our spirit will be back to mm -hmm. the original source, basically. Mm -hmm. And so what I, what I think hell is, um, is the soul or the spirit, or maybe it doesn't even come to fruition like what you're talking about, is just severed from that source and ceases. Mm -hmm. So hell is just non-existence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he talks about the, the burning like a fire that I... I see that as like the soul uh, ceasing to exist. It's not forever tortured in that fire. Mm -hmm. It's just done once it's mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I think hell is. Mm -hmm. And I think heaven is here. I think it's all around us. Mm -hmm. I think we access it when we understand that God is all around us and we can access him and we can uh, be one with that divine source that created our mm -hmm. spirit. And if we die, our spirit will be one with that spirit, and we will be back in our original mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I don't believe in, in heaven in a religious way, and I don't believe in hell in a religious way. Um, I think that there is something to a level likened to, to it in a way, and I think that's why human beings are always trying to define what they sense or feel. Right. And they give it very human terminology. Yes. I have said from early on, if you die and you go to heaven, exactly what happens there. I mean, how does that? How does heaven stay up in heaven? It's on Disney rockets, like Disney castle, and just right. on rockets. And hell's below. I mean, us. a bit sarcastic. Um, this, these two things, in my opinion, were used to control a very low educated uh, society and create fear and desire in them. And that is um, the molding of which we all sense and somebody started to create a, a structure from that to what ideally would be the best way to control the, the human race. In some ways it was very good because it helped with you know just uh, living better instead of like you know pooping where we, where we eat. It created customs that actually were more uh, homogenous to the well-being and health of our societies. Um, there were cleansing practices created. It depends on how far you go back, even before Christianity, where it evolved from. It is all from something else evolved. It was smart people who understood that these people would be drawn to these things and incorporated better habits and customs and religion, for the most part, not always. 
And so it evolves into ideas and how do you how do you do something if if you create a god out of a statue, you're just going to knock it over when you're not happy with it. Okay, if you make a god that's untouchable and all powerful, and you keep escalating a level where you can't whack them, you can't see it's not physical. What can you do? Well, now you've ultimately created the the best thing because if we get mad at it, it's not like we can tip over the statue. Okay, and say, oh, we'll build a new one. So. Hell is the same concept. There's no way to rip it down. There's no way to, to challenge it other than to submit to, to good and the rules by which you have to live by in order to, to, to do any harm to the dark. Okay, So I think it's a great system if you want to control people in that aspect. And it's, it's done wonders for society. It's also been the worst thing for society. So the, the question is, is, do I believe in, in a heaven or a hell? Okay, first of all, I would say, what is the real question at the root of everything? And the root of the question is, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? And I used to joke around when I used to drink a lot of Diet Coke, and I would say it's Diet Coke. But all joking aside, life, the meaning of life is to experience, period. The universe, God, call it whatever you want, wants us all to live life. It wants us to experience. It wants us to smell the roses and flowers. It wants to feel us have feel the dew petal underneath our feet. It wants us to feel the sunshine on our face. It wants us to feel a a butterfly walking on our nose. Okay, not just it walking on our nose, but the sensation of the experience, the wonder of the colors, the connection, the everything. It, it also wants us to experience fear and shame and humiliation so that we can relate to other people in acts of kindness rather than destructiveness and know I too have felt fear like this and I can relate to that and I wouldn't want to be uncomfortable and I would want somebody to reach out and help me. I need to be that person. To, to live is to experience. To experience is the will of the universe no matter where it is. It wants you to go out and have new experiences. If you look at nature, it's constantly adapting to new experiences, to an ever-changing environment. Why does everything change? There's a reason. It wants us to have to adapt, but if it was a computer program, it's precisely what it wants us to do. If reality is an illusion, it's still here. So what is the functioning behind it that makes it all function? It's not just you know frozen, we're all not moving. It's because it's moving, and movement is another form of change. Not just walking from one place to the other, the entire environment is changing. So it's just a matter of an escalation of that, or basically how fast or how slow that process is happening. So it wants us to experience life, and it, I believe it wants us to find humility, find goodness, and move to a constructive way to progress evolution, but understanding it, wanting it to happen, but in the best way we can do it without mm. with being as little destructive as we can. And uh, I think that's what draws it to it. When it becomes too destructive, it simply just recycles it that's destructive. I always say the dark side will turn on you. Well, that's what it means. You, you become a product of the own destruction you're creating when you simply just want to continue existing. You get sucked into the own, own vacuum you've created. There's an interesting uh, story I read about this guy who died and he says he went to hell. And uh, I read it and it says that he found himself when he died. Um, this was a, a, you know, where your heart stops and they can't read anything and everything. Um, that he was actually floating above the earth. And he was given puzzle pieces as he was floating above the earth that he had to assemble and put together. And when he finished assembling them, he would be released from having to be there. And he was like, I was in hell. And he says, well, how does that sound like that? It sounds like it's beautiful. No, it felt like thousands of years or hundreds of years because time is different. And he says, none of the pieces would fit in. 
three or four would fit in and all of a sudden the next piece wouldn't fit. And I could never find the right pieces to, to complete it. It's like it just never ended. And he says, that's where I knew I was being punished. And at the end, I think that when we don't have brain death, people say that you're dead, but there's still something going on in your mind. And I think that your own inner reflection of right or wrong dictates your, your own destiny. So because he felt he had done certain wrongs through the belief system and his ideals, that this is what created self-punishment for him. It's, it's, it's the same way we have dreams to, to deal with fire, to learn to cope with it, so we approach it more slowly because we're not as afraid of it the more we see it. So in, in essence is that you become better if you organically live long enough to keep having to deal with these things psychologically. Um, so in the end, I say that the universe is all energy and its layers of frequency. I often say it's, it's like a cup of really bad coffee made with chicory. Chicory is this red, I don't even know what chicory is. I think it's kind of like these nuts or something. And they grind it down and when they don't make coffee from coffee beans, they use chicory because it's a close thing and they put hot water in it. If you let it sit, it creates this layer of muck or something at the very top. And then there's a thicker layer just below it that's distinctly different. And then there's a, a pink color hue that comes down and it just has a certain buoyancy. And then eventually it gets clear down at the bottom, okay? So there's all these different layers. And this is how I try to explain the universe and frequencies and energy. Your consciousness is made out of all the things that you think, you believe, your emotions, your passions, your everything. It's, it's all complex energy by how what is dense or not. It's not like zeros and ones. It's like the zero and ones bulk together and this creates a certain kind of frequency mass or, or a light mass, if you will. But this is no light. But in, in essence, it's, it's, it's like to say that somebody can look at it and know what kind of person you are. But the universe can only do it and it knows that by the arrangement of your thoughts and such that create your identity and it becomes like a heavy frequency or a lighter frequency to make it simple. And in order to move towards the universe or God, you need a certain lightness in order to, to be able to catch that, that buoyancy. It's like when the government releases these big test balloons, it can only go so high before, before the ear mass or whatever prevents it from going higher. It has to stay there, but it will go that high and not go lower because of its mass also. And it gets to see from that level. It's the same thing. Your deeds and actions in life and what you evolve to are going to define whether you get to return to the universe as completed and you're like God or in a, at least to a quality enough to become part of its body again, okay, which is what you really want in the end. Yep. And if you don't, then you got to go down and continuously kind of keep refining on yourself in the meantime, hoping that you can maintain a spiritual body in all of these organic bodies as you're going through life because you can fall asleep and, and also... Uh, lead to, to bad things. So that would be reincarnation, basically. Yes. Your energy is just being... No different than white cells, remember? When one cold from another, they die, but they, they come back and they have the information from other lives that they had. Think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because people have said that they, they remember their past lives. That was never too surprising to me. Well, um, I, I think that, you know, again, I try to look at this as a, a level of, of logic, and there's a lot of debate in science and, and, and quackery, and I, I scoff at people who say, oh, I was Queen Elizabeth, mm -hmm. or I was Napoleon. I'm just like, ugh, okay? And in the end, there is a level of data, I think, that you carry through um, DNA, 
and I think that you can have memories of your your father's father's grandfather's grandfather, okay? Right. Depending on the timing by which you, you were birthed or created. And I think that some people get surface memories of this. And so I think there's a biological level to memory, okay? And then there's also a spiritual level to memory. And that it's very important because everything in the New Age tends to take this one-size-fits-all to everything. And this is where I think has been the demise of spiritual and intellectual sense because people say, well, this sounds so silly. Well, that's why I don't want nothing to do with it. I'm like, define it down. It's like saying there's only five kinds of species of fish in the ocean. Give me a break. There's billions of living things in the ocean. You simply need to classify them and understand what their role is. And then all of a sudden you go, ah, I get it. So in, in essence... Um, you know, you're working on, on a, a level of understanding, you know, and uh, everything has its, its own role. I don't know, I'm shutting down now. I'm like, this could go on forever. Yeah, I got, I got one more question if sure. you have it in you. Um, I know very little about this topic, but it's been interesting to me mm -hmm. uh, the last few weeks. The law of attraction. Mm -hmm. What is that all about? And... What are the implications of that, if you can access that? Why don't you tell me your interpretation of the laws of attraction? Because there's the recent book, The Secret. There is different people have different interpretations of that. There is the physical aspect of using that for an interpretation versus the manifestation of things. So it can go any, any way. I, I think attraction is, it's not just somebody looking at you and be like, oh, I like that person. You know, that's a very... Uh, dumbed down version of attraction. I think it has to do with the auras and how much energy you're. When you getting. say the law of attraction, by what context are you referring that? Well, I don't even know yet. I haven't looked into it enough. Okay. But well, there's a lot of opinions that vary on on that. Okay, and there's there's different uh, approaches. There's there's why are some people successful and not successful monetarily in life? That's mm -hmm. the law of attraction. There are people who say, well, it means that money, life, everything. Okay, um, so it it really is a broad. Um, kind of terminology for it and it can mean different things for, for different people. So answering that question is a loaded answer because it's like, am I picking the right answer for, for that person and how they're asking it? In general, the you know, I'll I'll say let's build it off of this. The law of attraction is is whether or not you you have a positive life and things go your way. That's what I was getting at. Okay. Yeah. Or you have negative things happen. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that is a multifaceted um, situation. Okay, I think that if you are, and I teach this, you know, we know this from studies that if you're an optimist and you have a positive attitude, like when something bad happens, you go, you know what, it'll work out in the end. Okay, if you're a pessimist, you know, which I usually can be, I'll be like, yeah, you know, and you're like, God, you're just frustrated with it, and it's just like, oh, it's just gonna get worse from here, and now I'm gonna do this, and now I'm gonna do that. You know, you've, you've, there are some people more natural to be an optimist then there are people to, to always be optimistic, more likely to be a pessimist. We know through studies um, over X amount of time of married couples that if people were considered through the testing optimists by their answers or pessimists, they could see that they had a much uh, higher level of non-divorce, monetary gain, and happiness in their life overall. In fact, so significant that it just really stood out versus people who were pessimists, who would take a certain attitude but worked a great job, did everything like, but they would have higher levels of divorce, they would make lower incomes. So this the state of mind on a rudimentary level, 
has a has a, an act in society. So I don't like to say that everything should fall under spiritual. I think it's it's uh, several levels that actually come together. I think it's spiritual effects, but I think you you have to 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 dissect it a little bit logically. So when one thinks a bit about it in a in a certain way, and you're like, I just wish I would meet the right person, or I wish I would get the right job or the right opportunity, and things always seem to work against me. I would say, look at it in very simple terms. When you go for a job, is that person like you as a person? Are, they, are you smiling? Make them smile. Have you ever smiled at somebody? Okay, it makes them want to smile. I'm making you smile because I'm smiling, okay? So it's, it's in a way psychologically addicting and, and we're designed through this through nature. If that person has a demeanor, you kind of want that person. Now you want people that are kind of happy around you and they make you feel good. Well, the key is make you feel good. Their attitude is contagious and affects you. And so if you start choosing people like that, you too will, will become happier and whatever. So when you do business with somebody and you're going to buy something from them, if they have that certain what we call a vibe, a personality, you tend to trust them more, you tend to like them more, and you tend to do more with them, which equates to doing sales with them, buying from them, giving your money to them, which all of a sudden makes their lifestyle better. When they have a positive disposition, they too are looking for somebody with a positive disposition, which is it's going to be a female, their counterpart, or a woman be find a counterpart that's positive. If they find another optimist because it matches them, they tend to laugh more. They tend to look at the bad times in a way that, oh, we're just going to grow from this. And instead of wallowing and burning time of their life, because time stops for nobody, then they're actually being more productive in their life to economically move forward. And in troubling times between their relationship, instead of dwelling on it and making it toxic, they're more likely to disengage their wrongs and be forgiven and create a more stronger, stable relationship as they mature in their, their age and wisdom instead of being aggressive and depressive. So on a spiritual level, when you have less negative things you're wallowing, when you have negative things happening, it's about control. And you want to influence and control things. I want to control this girl that I really like, or I want to control that person I really like, or I really want to control this job situation or this job person, okay? This is you basically willing something to change someone else's course. And it's, it's about your desirability instead of what is in the flow of the universe, what it wants. So in a sense, you're ostracizing yourself as a frequency to have less influence, in my opinion, due to the process of evolution tweaking in its broader spectrum. So in a sense, you, you could say you're becoming less spiritual through, through your actions. And those who can find less time to, to, to deal with the, the materialism. Materialism comes from, I want this, I want that. Mm -hmm. I want to control this, I want to control that. I want more economic means to survive. You say to the universe, I just need enough to get by. But when you get that, then you always want more. Okay? So in essence, the price of acquisition comes at a price of turmoil and reflection of your consciousness. Therefore, you're distracting yourself from spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. Or you're approaching it in the sense that you want to control more material things. Okay, which is detracting from the higher states of consciousness, and those who attain it tend to have it just fall in their favor, as if the universe is literally handing it to them because they're saying you're more mature than your brothers or sisters, so you should be more responsible in guiding everything else. And so that is this this yin yang process between how you think spiritually and what you don't. I can tell you that when people meditate more, 
uh, they often get this thing of letting this kung fu move when something comes at them, you just detach from it. You don't let it affect you. And they'll say, my life is so much better, it's so much peaceful. But sooner or later, they fall back asleep and they go back into the dough and they get sucked back into the toe of life's demands and pressures and anxieties. Instead of having anxiety hit them and going into your meditation, not letting it stick to you, and then coming at it from a detached way to solve it. They tend to grab the horn by its bull because they forgot. It was so shocking that it stopped them from using their practice. So I think it's psychological, spiritual, you know, mind, body, and spirit. And one has to try to be aware of those. Hence, you know, anybody can practice meditation and be freed from these things and have a better life. I absolutely believe that. But if you don't commit to that in the times of trouble and you just go back to your old natural ways, then you're going to find that you're not moving ahead and all the stuff that you've moved ahead, you're going to start falling back on. This is why you have to have ritual. This is why you have to have a, a level of routine that's spiritual so that you're constantly removing these negative things or constantly reminding yourself to be mindful of those things. That's what being in, in the, the state of mind is. Um, I, I think that when you also detach, think about something else. Often it is said that when you have problems, it's very hard to solve them on your own, even though you're the person who solves everybody else's problems. You need almost somebody else to come in to solve it for you. The truth is, if you do meditation and you detach from it, you can solve your own problems as wise and as powerfully as you do give advice for other people if they followed it, and it would be good for them. That's the difference. Yeah, being op optimistic is almost, it's like being realistic. Yeah. And we've kind of come full circle here to our first topic. Um, you have to let the universe do its thing, pretty much. Like, the less you try to control the things that you can't control, mm -hmm. the better your life will be. And, and Well, I think you can control it. I think it's just a matter of looking at it. I would say this. Um, I think that the universe is like riding waves if you're a surfer. Yeah. yeah. You need the wave, and it's powerful, and you got to respect it. And you you have this tremendous, powerful thing happening, shaping and molding it, and you go on there. But you can direct the ride and the experience for a certain degree yeah. through through choices you're making. It's like you have to control yourself yes. in the environment yes. that you can't control. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. You need self-awareness. Mm -hmm. This is what spiritually means self-awareness. A lot of people ask us, where is the best place to start with our courses and material? The fundamental backbone of everything in our catalog is the Foundation Meditation System. This is a unique meditation technique geared to the purpose of absorbing prana, stimulating key regions of the body that enhance sensory development, and allow one to tap into a source of unbridled spiritual energy. Foundation Meditation can be learned in our book, Meditation Within Eternity, or you can visit our website, foundationmeditation.com, to acquire the audio course. Again, that's foundationmeditation.com. Each of Eric's books comes with a secure readers-only section online that contains a treasure trove of complimentary free training material. When you add up all the free training you get with each book, you have a combined total value of over $1,000 in additional content. This includes classes, guided meditation exercises, and more. Digital and physical copies are available at higherbalancebooks.com. Order the set on discount now, and we'll also send you a free guru deck in the mail for physical orders. Again, that's higherbalancebooks.com.
Go there now, order your set, and join the growing movement of spiritual adepts. Follow us on Instagram at Higher Balance Institute, all one word. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a positive review so you can help others like yourself find this knowledge. If you'd like to support this podcast, please visit our online store at higherbalance.com. Meditation. It's more than just relaxation. There are different kinds of meditation, just like there are different tools to do a job. Finding the right kind of meditation will decide whether you awaken or whether you just simply drift. Energy. More than just a thought, but of movement that you can literally feel through your body. Visions. More than a faded idea within your consciousness, but rather a vivid reality so clear it'll make you question reality itself. Meditation, if used properly, will show you how to move the currents of your mind into a better life, a more prosperous life, consciousness expanding, memory improvement, inner balance, higher balance. Most of all, discover who and what you are and what you can do. Join us at Higher Balance Institute. We'll help change your world. Thank you for listening to Rebel Guru Radio.